So guys, this makes my one year anniversary being in Baltimore. I came here August 1st last year, it was a Thursday, which makes August 4th my first Sunday here. I think, Elliot, I think this was your, your last Sunday, right? When I came, my first Sunday was your last Sunday. Yeah, Dustin preached. Um, Joel was out of town where he is now with his family in Akron, Ohio, doing a family reunion. Um, if you don't know, Fred Curtis and I went to undergraduate um, together. We did undergrad together at University of West Georgia. Um, Fred told me about the internship through his church. I applied for it. I didn't think that I'd begin it, but I got it. Um, the plan was for me to stay with Fred. So Fred was gone maybe two weeks to a month to, uh, when I was here. So then the plan was for me to stay with the Curses. The Curses. Curse apostrophe. With Jess and Joel. And they were out of town doing what um, they're doing now. So they put me off on Paul and Sade. And I came up here August 1st. Paul and Sade, when did you get married? June 29th. <laughs> My bucket list did not include staying with newlyweds <laughs> a month into their marriage, but it happened. And they were wonderful hosts. God bless Paul and Shadi. After church that day, I went, we went home, and of course the, the sirens are the norm in the city. And um, I heard some sirens, but these sirens were different. It was a more intimate closeness. It was right down the street. And um, so I'm, I go outside, and I'm seeing what's going on, and I see an on-foot police chase. It's right in, right in front of me. I saw the guy running by, just, and I saw the police, and I said, this is a, where, where am I right now? What did, what did I sign up for? I heard about Baltimore, but good grief. And that was my welcome and my introduction to Baltimore. But I'm still here a year later, all right? <laughs> uh, the text that I'll be coming from today is Colossians chapter 3. If you could turn there. If you're new to the Bible, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. Um, if you're new to the Bible, we have one person who needs the Bible. Um, if you're new to the Bible, you can find uh, Colossians in the first couple of pages. You'll see the table of contents. It is uh, right after Philippians and right before 1 Thessalonians. Page 639. Probably won't help you out. That's what it is in my Bible. <laughs> Probably won't help you out at all. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. It says, if you didn't, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here... 
There was not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in, hearts, in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for waking us up, just allowing us to experience your love and your grace and your mercy, things that we often take for granted. But I pray as I stand before you that I may decrease, Lord God, and that you may increase within me. I pray that you will give us wisdom to receive the words that you have spoken to the Colossian church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hmm. Thought I had a picture. Today we're going to be talking about growing in godliness. Growing in godliness, sanctification, those can be used interchangeably, so I may be using both of them throughout the next couple of minutes. First off, what in the world is growing? What is godliness? What does it look like? And why must we do it? Colossians 1, verses 9 through 10, Paul is talking to the Colossian church, and he's basically starts off the letter. And you got to remember, when Paul was writing the Colossian church, he didn't include chapter numbers and verse numbers. He was just writing this one long letter. So he starts off telling them how, it's almost like a proud father, telling them how proud of them that he is and that they have their faith in Christ and that they're trusting in Christ for their salvation. And then he tells them that he never ceases to pray for them. And this is his prayer for them. That they may be filled with the knowledge of all his will, they be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual understanding and wisdom as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he prays that they grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding so that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So as much as they're learning, they should be walking in what they learn, as much as they know they should grow. I'm an MC by nature. I can't help it. No grow. No grow. No grow. Did you catch that? Can't help it. Did you catch that, Mike? What I do on the mic. Did you catch that? All right. So, so as, much, as much as they know, as much as they learn, they should grow. This is sanctification. This is growing in godliness. We not only learn things just to know them, but we also apply them. All right? So that's what sanctification is. That's what growing in godliness is. Why is it necessary? In verse 29, chapter 1, or I'm sorry, verse 28, he says that we may be presented mature in Christ. So that we may be presented mature, so that we may uh, be presented as some would, uh, in the Greek, would interpret that word mature as perfect. Of course, we won't be perfect until Christ comes back and we get our uh, renewed body and our glorified body. But that's the aim of sanctification and growing in godliness, that we may be presented mature or full grown. In chapter 2, uh, Paul goes on, and well, even in 1, he 
talks about Christ and the preeminence of Christ and talks about him being the firstborn of all creation and all things were made by him. And, of course, Paul, in his letters, he starts off a lot of times by pointing to Christ and reminding everyone of the gospel because that's, it's the, that's the centrality of Christianity, right, the gospel. So he does that. In chapter 2, he's dealing with an issue within the Colossian church because you have people who um, are in the church and who are saying things like, if you really want to be godly, you must do this, 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 and that, all right? This is form of legalism. So they're saying you're not godly because you're not staying away from this food or you're not observing this day or you're not paying attention to this festival. And Paul is, like a loving father would, telling the Colossian church and telling the Christians, like, this is not right. And that's where you begin chapter 3. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Whenever a chapter starts off with if then, you have to go to see what was going on before that because you can't just start off something with if then. If you came in here now and I say, if then I gave you a million dollars, you'll say, hold on, whoa, wait, how do I get the million dollars, right? So we have to see what in the world was going on before that. The end of chapter 2 and verse 23, talking about the human precepts and the teachings and the man-made laws and traditions, Paul says this, he said, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul says, all of this stuff that they're saying, it sounds good, it sounds wonderful, I got to give you an applause, it sounds great, but this absolutely does nothing because you still have the flesh that desires everything that it desires. All of these man-made traditions, all of these man-made laws, all of these things they're telling you to do, it sounds good, but it's not right. And then Paul says, let me tell you how you really be godly. Let me tell you how to grow in godliness. Let me help you out with your sanctification. And that's where we start. In these first couple of verses, in these first three verses, Paul repeats himself to make an emphasis on two things in particular in these first three verses. Now, this is nothing new because in Galatians 1 and 8, Paul tells this church, the Galatian church, he says, brothers, if, and sisters, um, he says, um, if if we or an angel come to you and preach a gospel contrary to the one that we, uh, uh, that we preach to you, let him be accursed or set aside for destruction. And then in the very next verse, Paul says, once again, as we've said before, I say to you, if anyone comes to you and preaches a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. The verses were back to back. Like they, I say back. <laughs> they were back to back, all right? right next to each other. And I can imagine the Galatian church saying, Paul, you just said this. It's not like you said it 20 years ago. You just said this. But he is putting the emphasis on whatever it is that he's wanting to put emphasis on. And right now, in this case, he says, if you have been raised with Christ, which we have to make the assumption, if one rises, first that person was dead. All right? In verse 3, he says that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. So first, Paul makes the emphasis of, listen, you are dead, all right? You are dead to yourself. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things are made new, all right? So Paul is making this emphasis. You are dead, and now you are alive with Christ. He says this in all of, he repeats himself within three verses, all right? This is something that we have to, have to grab a hold to because that's the recurring theme in this, um, in this book. 
All right? We are dead to ourselves, and we are alive in Christ. And Paul is putting that emphasis on that. The second thing that he puts the emphasis on, in uh, verse 1, he says, seek those things that are above. And then in verse 2, he says, set your minds on things that are above. Jonathan Edwards prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, stamp my eyeballs with eternity. Can you imagine, can you imagine the decisions that we would make if we had an eternal perspective? By the way, that's the first step of growing in godliness, having eternal perspective. (laughs) But can you imagine the decisions that we would make if we had an eternal perspective? If we're honest with ourselves, there are things that we've done years ago, months ago, weeks ago, days ago, and maybe hours or even minutes ago to which we say, I wish that I would not have done that. Can you imagine how how it would be if we had an eternal perspective every time that we made a decision? Paul is laying the foundation here for the practical steps of growing in godliness. And he says, first, you have to have an eternal perspective because if you don't have an eternal perspective, you're going to get discouraged because while there are um, earthly rewards for what we do, everything is pointing to Christ and what's to come. That's the whole theme of the New Testament especially. In Romans 8, Paul says that, I consider that the present sufferings of this world cannot be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Everything is pointing to what's coming. In order for us to truly grow in godliness, we can't just, we just can't look at what's going on now and what's going on here. We don't ignore it, but we just don't focus on this because we know that there is better to come. Last week, Brian and I had a conversation with some pastors. It was two pastors, and one of them had been pastoring for 28 years. I haven't been alive 28 years myself. So I was, you know, and um, we had a, as, you know, through conversation, this was, this was our first time meeting them, and through conversation, we had a, a, a big disagreement on something. It wasn't Calvinism, it wasn't that, right? but we did have a big disagreement on an issue. And he, he made good points, he made, I, I guess they were good points as to why he did what he did. But his issue was that he was focused on what's going on now. In his own words, he said, before you can save someone spiritually, you have to save them physically. That's what he said. The conversation was completely just sad and frustrating, and it was very discouraging to hear that a pastor for 28 years, was doing what he was doing. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't focus on physical needs or, or, or current needs. James speaks on that. But I am saying that if anything compromises the gospel and what we stand for, we can't just, we just can't look at what's going on now. There is a, there is a much more important issue than physical and earthly consequences. I mean, we're talking about the state of our souls here. And that's what he was focused on. So in order for us to grow in godliness, we have to have an eternal perspective. Because if we don't have an eternal perspective, I, yeah, we, will get dis, we will get discouraged eventually. All right? So this is the foundation. This is the launch pad. Now we're taking off. Y'all with me? Amen. All right. Cool. The second thing, growing in godliness, we have to do our part. In sanctification, 
it's twofold, all right? You have the Holy Spirit who initiates the work, starts the work, and also energizes. According to Colossians 1 and 29, Paul says that, you know, he, um, with his energy, we strive and toil to do everything it is that we do with his energy, with the energy uh, from the Spirit of Christ. But we can't just look at and expect for the Holy Spirit to do everything because if we expect the Holy Spirit to do everything, which he won't do, we're not going to grow. Wild fruit does, does not exist when it comes to sanctification. You have to play your part. You just can't be so one-sided to where you're relying on the Holy Spirit because you're going to get beat every time. You're going to be defeated spiritually every, every time. And on the same sense, you can't just depend on yourself because if you're not dependent on the Holy Spirit, you're going to become prideful, puffed up, conceited, and you're going to get... So you have to find this sweet spot in between where you're doing your part and you're trusting the Holy Spirit to do his part, all right? We have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. When Paul Make, uh, goes to this list here. In, in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Then he goes on in verse 8 and mentions some more anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. In verse 9, he talks about lying to one another. These things are things that happen and come naturally within us. These are things that we practice by our default nature. We don't have to think about this stuff in order to do it. Before I came up here, I used to work at a daycare. Good grief. <laughs> I used to work at a daycare. <laughs> I used to work at a daycare, right? I worked with the three-year-olds, but sometimes I would go into the baby room and, you know, I, I like kids, right? So I would go, I had to in order to work at a daycare. Um, so I would go into the baby room. The lights would be off. I'll turn on the lights. The babies would start laughing and all this kind of stuff. And they thought I was entertaining them, but I was really looking at their eyes when I turned the lights on because naturally when the lights came on, what happened to their eyes? They adjusted to the lights, all right? So you have, I'll be looking at, I'll be looking at them, I'll come into the room, i flip the light on, their eyes just get big and they start laughing. I turn, the light, turn the light off again, flip the lights on, their eyes will get big, they just start laughing. It was absolutely entertaining for me, all right? But <laughs> they didn't think about doing that. It came naturally. You're sitting there in that chair right now, and you, you, you're not thinking about breathing. You're doing it naturally. And these are the same things that Paul tells us to put off, things that you do naturally. You, you have to fight against this stuff because if you don't fight against it, nothing is going to happen. We have to play our part in putting to death the deeds of the flesh. We, we, have to, we just can't sit back and expect for God to just remove this stuff from our life because if we couldn't do it, Paul, wouldn't, he wouldn't go through it. You can find something that you struggle with in this list that he, that, he, uh, that he made or that he named. If you don't do anything, nothing is going to happen. And then we wonder sometimes why we're being defeated and why we're depressed and why we're going through everything that we're going through. It's because we're not doing our part. We're not playing our part. And Paul is saying, look, you, you have to do this. You just can't sit back and be a lazy Christian. You see, being a Christian is not just making this profession of faith and signing a card and coming to church and singing or even maybe serving. It's not that. You have to play your part in your personal growth. Nobody else can do it for you. We have to be intentional on putting to death the deeds of the flesh. How in the world do we do this? <laughs> because it sounds good, it sounds wonderful, 
even to me right now, it sounds good and it sound, sounds wonderful, but the fact of the matter is, as soon as I step off of this stage, which I plan on doing soon, <laughs> I'm going to struggle with the same thing. And I'm going to have to be intentional on putting to death the deeds of the flesh and mortifying my flesh and denying myself and taking up my cross. So Paul says, let me show you how to do this. In verse 12, he says, put on then, since we've taken the old self off. Verse 12, Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. First off, we've been set apart. All right. There's a difference between those who are alive in Christ and, and those who are not. God is literally set us apart. So he's already made it possible for us to do. Since in verse 2, we see that our, I'm sorry, in verse 3, we see that our life is hidden in Christ. We're set apart. And Paul says, since you have been set apart, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive Forgiveness is one of those things that a lot of us struggle with and that we deal with. The fact of the matter is a lot of us have reasons to, to be offended by people in the past and from what they've done to us. When I was doing the spiritual disciplines course, I gave an example about when I was little. And um, I have an older sister. Whenever my sister, my mom would give my sister some candy, or anything, I was, I didn't have anything to worry about because she had to share it with me. That wasn't an option. If she didn't share it with me, hey, I'm getting all of it and you're getting in trouble. It's the same way that it is with us. When God forgives us, he expects us to forgive one another. None of this stuff is easy. It's not easy to just put off the, put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's not easy to forgive all the time, but it's something that's necessary something that's necessary in order for us to, to grow, in order for us to, to, um, to move forward in life. We, we have to forgive. And not only does Paul say forgive, but he says to bear with one another. That's a, that doesn't even sound good, bear with one another. That means that you're really getting on my nerves right now. I really don't want to see your face right now. I promise you I don't. However, I have to bear with you. Paul to the Ephesian church says, endeavor to maintain the spirit of unity. Endeavoring is not a word that, that means ease, that it comes with ease. Yo, I'm, I'm really fighting and I'm, and I'm really trying, but it's, it's necessary that we maintain the spirit of unity. Y'all rocking with me? All right, cool. Another thing that Paul reiterates in verses 6, I'm sorry, in verses 7, in verses 9 in chapter 3, it's the fact that we have put off the old self and we have to put on the new man. This is something that, I mean, <clears throat> Paul is literally saying, this is what you once were. This is the way in which you once walked. Christ has snatched you out of that, and now you're walking here. Leave this alone. Leave this alone. Paul says that on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. It should, God is gracious, praise Jesus. It should bother us that these things that are listed here and things that we struggle with, for those who aren't hidden in Christ, it's the same thing that's going to bring them destruction. That should concern us. 
We shouldn't take that lightly. Paul is saying, leave this. This is taking you to your grave. Leave this alone. Leave it alone. It's not going to be easy, but you have to put it off. Don't covet. Don't lie. Don't be sexually immoral. Is it easy? No, but it must be done. As Christians, sometimes we, we find loopholes around stuff, and as Christians, we, we typically think, especially when it comes to forgiveness, we think, oh, no, 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 my situation is different. The Bible wasn't talking about me. Yes, <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. It's talking about you. I understand your situation is, you, you may think that it's unique. I understand that you may think that it's different, but you, know, you, have, to, you have to let that go. You have to let it go in order to grow. So the second point was do your part. The last point, and then I'll be joining you guys back down there singing and having communion. <laughs> the last point is this. Allow the church to do their job. In verse 16, Paul says, or in 15, he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all spiritual, I'm sorry, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. God uses the church, the body of believers, as a means of grace in order for us to grow in sanctification. From whoever is standing up here, preaching the word and delivering the word to other members who serve or other members who may be lay members, he uses the church to build the body. He says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We don't just have a, a worship leader with a dope voice and an epic beard just for having a worship leader with a dope voice and an epic beard. All right? These songs that we sing are, are intended to encourage us as we put to death the deeds of the flesh and as we grow in godliness and as we grow in sanctification and as we fight to live a life of holiness. Guys, this is a fight. The stuff that I've been talking about, this is a fight. A fight that you must take part in. A fight that you must engage in. A fight that you must be a part of. Because if you don't fight, you're going to continue to be spiritually depressed and you're going to be and you're going to continue to be spiritually defeated. You have to take your part in your sanctification and your personal growth and growing in godliness. And that, my friends, is the end and the conclusion of my sermon. All right, let's have a time of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for speaking to us. I pray that as we fight this fight for holiness and as we fight to grow in godliness and that we fight for our sanctification, that we won't depend on ourselves too much lest we become conceited and puffed up and prideful. Pray that we won't depend on the Holy Spirit and to the point to where we just sit back and be lazy. But I pray, Lord God, that we'll find that sweet spot to use the energy that you've given us through the Holy Spirit to fight for holiness, Lord. And I pray that we won't be discouraged in our journey but that we'll be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.